You know, if you're a person who, whose, whose retirement has them feeling feelings of worthlessness, like you're not adding anything to anyone anymore. If you have a checkered past, and that checkered past is always coming at you with its guilt. If you're a person who had a mom or a dad that made you feel worthless, if you have a spouse who, who, who has or is or, or, or had been making you feel like nothing, if you have depression that speaks to you in your heart and tells you things that are contrary to the Word of God, if you have a trauma in your past that makes you want to feel like you're broken beyond repair, if you have any voice in your heart that tells you that you are not worth the love of God, it's time to put down that suitcase. The sermon that you're about to hear is from Pastor Paul Borman at Hope Lutheran Church, located in Tigard, Oregon. For more information and for more content, go to hopeintigard.com. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This is God's word from 1 John chapter 3. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you know this about us. There are so many voices in our lives that try to assign value to us, telling us that we're great or telling us that we're scum. Lord, I ask that you come with your Holy Spirit. Work in our hearts so that the voice that we hear is yours. Telling us that we are your children. Amen. Taylor Swift is known to her greatest fans by the name T-Swizzle. And over the last decade, she has been one of the most phenomenal musical artists that's out there. And, and she's phenomenal, in my opinion, not only because of her success in her music, but I think because of her lyrics. Her lyrics are phenomenally, profoundly Sincere and open. You know, she, she gets that way in one of her most famous songs. It's called Shake It Off. You've probably heard that song at every wedding you've been to since it's come out. Shake It Off. These are the lyrics of the song. She gets brutally open and honest about what, what she's struggling with. She says, I stay up too late. I got nothing in my brain. At least that's what people say. She says, I go on too many dates and I can't make them stay. At least that's what people say. Now here, here's a woman. Here's the woman who's saying these words. This is the woman. She is one of the most successful artists of this time. She owns property in New York and L.A. and Nashville and Rhode Island and London. I looked it up. And yet she is still so bothered by what the critics say about her. 
She knows that, that they're saying about her that, that all she can write about is breakups, that, that she's got nothing real going on inside of her, and it bothers her. And all she wants to do is shake it off <laughs> so that she can have some measure of peace. To me, those kind of lyrics are profoundly private and profoundly public at the same time. And we know that this is not just written for her. She didn't just write this for her own sake to get it out there. She wrote these words. This is another part of what I call her brilliance, that she wrote words that she knew that so many millions of people could relate to. She knows that it's not just her that feels struggles. And, and, and it's not just her that, that wants to be worthwhile to people. And it's not just her that struggles when people tell her that she's not worthwhile. And you know, we could say, we could joke about this, we probably should, that, that, uh, that Taylor Swift is only popular for, for teenage girls, but we all know that's not true, right? Taylor Swift. Her openness, her lyrics, her struggle is common to millions of people. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because I want to illustrate something that you already know. That each one of us is carrying an invisible suitcase filled with spiritual and emotional baggage. And one of the things that is in many of our suitcases, maybe even in all of our suitcases, is the phrase, the sentence, I am worthless. We've all got that emotional bit damage, and, and we wish that we could say, I'm probably just going to mention Taylor Swift one more time, we all wish that we could say, and we could do, just shake it off. I'll tell you what, John wanted that for us too. He wanted for us to, to be able to tune out and, and not listen to the voices of, of the critics in our lives that, that attempt to assign value to us. He understood this. He understood how many voices there are in our lives that, that seek to assign a positive or negative value to us. He knows about our outside critics. He knows about our bosses. He knows about our employees. He knows about our spouses. He knows about our parents. He knows about our siblings. He knows about everybody else in our lives who try and, and, and either tell us that we're awesome or that we're scum or somewhere in between. Mar uh, John wants us to be able to tune those things out. And so he introduces a voice that had been formerly unheard into it. It's into this cacophony. It's God's voice. It's God's voice calling out something important that tells us everything about who we are. This is what John says. He says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children God. Which, to me, to John, is so incredibly surprising. 
You can tell that it was surprising to John by the words that he used. You know, when you see in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament and New Testament, when you see the word see at the beginning of a sentence, you can know that that is an exclamation point. It is a mental stop sign meant for you to be able to take a moment and recognize that what's coming next is of monumental significance for your eternal life. And so he says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, except I know you guys love it when I do this. I'm not going to disappoint you today. I know you love it when I give you grammatical and word stuff to think about. I'm going to do it twice today. First time is here. That word great. The English word great, it doesn't compare to what the Greek word has in it. What the Greek word has embedded in it is a sense that that the love that the Father has lavished on us is is so far beyond our comprehension that it it has become otherworldly. We can't grasp it. It is otherworldly. It is alien to us. You might even say it's heavenly to us. That's how great the love is that the Father lavished on us. And that is exactly what John so dearly wants us to see. And I think you know why he wants you to see how loved you are. I think you know it, but I'm going to illustrate it. I I did most of my growing up years in Rochester, Minnesota. And when the school year started and before it got too cold, what... What, almost, what my class would do almost every day during recess is we would play kickball. And I would get nervous about picking teams every day. I would think about it on the bus ride to school. I would think about it at lunch. And then I would, I would feel really nervous standing there in a line watching two of my classmates pick teams. I know it was probably an irrational fear because I was in the 95th percentile of growth. I was tall and I could kick the ball a really long ways. But I still felt so nervous about it because I understood that when you're on the playground, being picked first and being picked last means something. It assigns value to you. And I was afraid of that. And, and I know, I know how, how small and insignificant that example is. You know, I I know how how small that is compared to what I know goes on in the world in terms of people assigning value to each other, in terms of the ways that people go out of their way to make each other feel like nothing. I know about the dads who who left, and I know about the kids who, who have lived their whole lives thinking that they are not worth someone sticking around for. And I know about the moms who stuck around but probably shouldn't have because they made their, their kids feel like, like trash, like they were baggage, like they weren't worth loving. And I know that there are some of you who have been, who has been physically used for somebody else's physical gratification and I know that makes you feel like that's all you're worth. And I also know that as bad as, as, we, as other people can make us feel about ourselves, I also know that probably the most powerful and harshest critic that there is out there is ourselves. 
And I think it's probably true, I've heard this said before, it's probably true that, that we are our own biggest influencer because we are the ones that talk to ourselves the most, right? And so when it comes to assigning value to ourselves, we are the ones that can do the most damage to ourselves in the face, things that we say to ourselves about ourselves, right? I thought about this recently. You know, it's, it's the fall. Beautiful time of year. In Oregon, it's getting chillier, but it's not raining yet. And what you do in the fall is you put on your flannel, you put on your jeans, and you go to a pumpkin farm. You pick out a pumpkin. You visit the corn maze, and, and you take pictures. And you walk through the gift shop, and you see all those cutesy, those cutesy signs that people make. And, and I saw one of them recently, and the sign said, Be the person your dog thinks you are. <laughs> and I chuckled about that because, I, you know, I've owned dogs, and I know that my dogs thought the world of me. But then I thought about it some more, as I always do. And I thought, yeah, it, we probably should try and be the person that our dog thinks we are because it would be way too dangerous to have a sign that says, be the person that you think you are. You know what the difference is, right? Our dogs, by nature, they love us unconditionally. They don't keep a score sheet of our morality, our performance, our, our looks, anything like that. We do. And what's worse, and what's more condemning, is that we find out in the Bible that that's what God does too. He keeps a record of sins. We're taught in the Bible that the wages of sin is death. We're taught that the expectation of God is that we be perfect just like He is perfect. We're taught in the Bible that, that, that we cannot be around God if we are imperfect. And we know that. We know that. That's why nothing that we can say to ourselves will help the situation. That's why we can't do what Taylor Swift says and shake it off because we know that in and of ourselves we are not good. Now, if my wife came to me and told me, you are not a good man, I couldn't disagree with her. I couldn't. I couldn't make that argument. And if my dad... If he would come to me and he, and he would say, you are not worth hanging around with, you're not worth being by, I couldn't argue with him on that either. Because when I hold myself up to the standard of God, I know that there is nothing good in me. That's the truth that John understood. Oh, he understood it. All too well. He understood his sin. He understood that, that by himself he is not worth anything to anyone. But he also understood something else. He understood why it was that the love that God lavished on him, why it was so unearthly, why it was so 
foreign, why it was so heavenly, why it was so surprising to find out that despite the truth that he knew about himself, God still was speaking clearly in the gospel. You are my child. That God still speaks in the gospel and says, you are called a child of God. Now again, this is the second time that I'm going to get grammar nerdy on this. This is something you've got to understand. It's something that you've got to take home with you. It is a big deal that this verb here that says that we are called a child of God, it's a big deal that this is a verb in the passive voice. What that means is that, is that when, when John says that we are called children of God, it's not something that we are calling ourselves. It's not something we're doing. We are not active in the calling. We're passive in it. What's going on is that someone is making a call about our value. Someone is making a call about whether we're worthless or not. And you know who is the only one who has the right to do that. The only one who has the divine knowledge, the divine power, the divine care, the divine authority to make a call about whether or not you are worthless is God. He's the only one with the prerogative to do that. And I'm telling you that he has made that call. You know what it is? It's Jesus. If you want to know what you're worth, you know what you should do? Look at Jesus. Look at his life. If you want to know how valuable your eternal life is to God, then look at what Jesus did so that you could have that eternal life. He came down to earth. He was born of a sinful woman named Mary. He lived perfectly. He fought against temptation and he won. He went to the cross. If you want to know how much Jesus loves you, how much you are worth to him, look at him on that cross. He didn't have to go there. He went there for you. He died there so that you wouldn't have to eternally die. He rose for you so that you could rise again and live forever. If you want to know what you're worth, if you want to know what you're called, if you want to know your value, look at Jesus. Jesus is what you're worth. Think about that. And remember that, that, that no one else gets to make the call about who you are. No one else gets to make the call about what you're worth. No one. That's why John goes on from this, this earth-shattering statement the way that he does. He says, See how great the love is that the Father has lavished on us. And then he keeps going. He says that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Have you ever thought about why John felt the need to keep going? He made this, this beautiful, comforting statement of the gospel, and then he kept going and he restated it. That we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Have you ever thought about why the gospel needs to be affirmed in people who already know that they have been called children of God? It's because of this. 
that what is objectively true, what you know to be 100% unchangeably true, what God's voice, that he has called you a children of God, what you know about that doesn't always feel subjectively true in here. Now, I want to explain myself very clearly here. It's, it's good to feel saved. We like that. We appreciate that. I'm not trying to downplay that in any way, shape, or form. It is definitely a grace of God to feel saved. It's, it's amazing when the gospel creates in us that profound sense of well-being and peace. We like that. We appreciate that. We pray for more than that. But here's what I want you to know. The way that you feel about whether or not you're saved, the way that you feel about whether or not you are valued, the way that you feel about whether or not you are worthless has nothing to do with the truth of whether or not you're saved. The way you feel about, about whether or not Jesus has risen from the dead cannot change the fact that he has. If it did, if that were true, if your feeling could affect the outcome of what Jesus has done, then Christianity, all it would be, would be an emotional roller coaster that you're riding up and down whether you're feeling on that day whether, that you're saved or not. We can know, and we can be thankful, we can know this, that our feelings lack completely any authority to make a call about who we are in Christ. And that's why God gave us one objective and crystal clear voice in the gospel that tells us who we are. You are a child of God. That even though in your sin there's nothing worth saving in you, God still loved you enough that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to save you from those sins, to add his righteousness to yourself so that you could be worth heaven. And again, the way that you feel about that does not change the truth. Now there's... There is some beautiful, beautiful life-changing application that we can take away from all this. What I am asking you today to do is I want you to unpack your invisible suitcase. I want you to set it on the ground, and I don't want you to pick it up. Give it to God. You know, if you're a person whose who's retirement has them feeling, feelings of worthlessness, like you're not adding anything to anyone anymore, if you have a checkered past, and that checkered past is always coming at you with its guilt, if you're a person who had a mom or a dad that made you feel worthless, if you have a spouse who, who, who has or is or, or, or had been making you feel like nothing, 
If you have depression that speaks to you in your heart and tells you things that are contrary to the Word of God, if you have a trauma in your past that makes you want to feel like you're broken beyond repair, if you have any voice in your heart that tells you that you are not worth the love of God, it's time to put down that suitcase. And here's how. Whenever that voice pops up in your head telling you that you're not worth the love of God, instead of believing it, silence it. And listen to what God has said about you with all of his divine authority. Look at Jesus. Look at the great, otherworldly, heavenly love that he has lavished on you. And then, and only then, you can silence those voices and you can speak back to them. You can say no. Because of Christ, I'm worth him. I'm called God's child. And you can know the truth. That is what you are. Amen.